Coming up this week, Ace exits the deck, but is he the joker of South African politics? Is there a glimmer of light at the end of the ESCOM tunnel? Another example of poor SAPS detective work after a tragic tavern shooting. Cyril Ramaphosa is off to Ukraine. Why? What does he hope to achieve? The city of Johannesburg tables its 80 billion rand budget. And what kind of statues does 22 million rand buy you? Welcome to our weekly scrollercast. I'm Jeremy Maggs. And with me is political editor Zukili Majova. Another 20 minutes of conversation about the state that we're in. The thing, Zukili, that interested me about Ace Mahashule's departure, it was so quiet. Uh, <laughs> I had interviewed him once before. I remember him arriving. I was working at a television station at the time. I remember him arriving. He was surrounded by bodyguards. He was wearing all black. He was angry. Uh, and he was menacing and he was complaining a lot. Uh, and that's the image that I have of him. Yet now he just seems to have slunk off into the night. What's your sense? Yeah, no, he, he, he's slightly alone. You know, even even those court cases in Bloemfontein, the numbers are just shrinking. The numbers are just shrinking. It, it's one of those things, really, Jeremy. It's about what do you still have to offer? You know, in the run-up, uh, to December conference, everyone thought he, he still had something to offer. Obviously, in the December conference was a possibility of the step-aside rule being taken out. The whole a conference can make a decision, even an outrageous decision. But when you lose it at conference, that's when you know that you are really gone. Obviously, he lost it at conference. It really, it, it, the writing was on the wall from that moment. I, I, I knew he was gone. And then the, the disciplinary uh, process went through without him participating. I don't know what he was hoping for, you know, and he was given more time to apologize, didn't apologize. He's gone, but he's still, he's still, he's still quite a player in, in his province. So let's pick up on that then. Does he have the ability still to influence? In other words, does he still have a constituency in the Free State province? And let's be uh, very mindful of the fact that when he was the Free State Premier, his tentacles stretched far and wide all over the province. And secondly, does he have either the ability or the desire to cause political trouble? Ace has practically run Free State for almost 30 years or so. Because during the big years, he was the chairperson in the, in, in the province, in the Eastern Cape, twice. And he was recommended for premier, and Mbegi saw right through him what, what could happen when he becomes premier. And Mbegi refused, never chose him as premier. When Zuma came through, the, the, the first thing they did was choose him as premier. And it was during the recession. He went and ordered 10 Mercedes-Benz, 9 for MECs in the middle of a recession, uh, uh, 9 S500s and an S600 for him. Right in the middle of a recession. So in other words, uh, showing the finger. Yeah. Went straight to hell ever since. But he's still, a, he's still a player in the province. I actually think before the ANC kicked Ace out, they were fully in charge of the, of the, of the free state. No one was thinking that come next year the free state is going to fall. Obviously, with all the bad uh, uh, performance in municipalities, none of the municipalities in there has got a clean audit. So it's really bad in the entire province. But even as bad as things were, with it still around, everybody believed that the free state, the ANC was going to secure the free state. But right now, with, with Ace gone, and especially if he joins a proper political party, I don't think the ANC can run the free state without, without a coalition partner. 
That's how powerful he is. Are you suggesting that he there's another political home for him somewhere? Well, we saw him dancing around with EFF we people. Did in, we did indeed, but there's a big difference between dancing around on a stage and putting on the red uniform and pledging allegiance. I mean, he, as you say, he's a player. Maybe that was just the optics of the whole thing. Now that he's been kicked out of the ruling party, does he make the move? If he does, what does it mean? The EFF seems to be a party that is prepared to make an MP out of somebody who's never been a member. You can imagine if you are a member of the EFF and you were on the party list and they cut it just before you. There's space now in Parliament for you to come in with all the work that you have done over the years for the party. And they said, no, Mzwanele Manyi, Jacob Zuma's spokesperson, has now suddenly decided to join the EFF and therefore he must become an MP. What does he bring? He brings well, it's nothing. It's also a naked political expediency. Exactly. So you can imagine what they will give to somebody like Ace. Ace is a much bigger fish uh, than Zonele Mani. And an ally like Ace in the free state, where the EFF is around 12%, it was 11% before they grew up just a percent and a half, so they're up 12, 12.5%. With Ace in their ranks, it will make a big difference. They'll definitely be a, a kingmaker. What does the ANC learn from all of this? Well, it's, it's, Ramaphosa continues, really, slowly. Uh, he's, he's very cautious, but every once in a while he makes a decision and it's quite effective. If you think about it... Every once in a while. Every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't make decisions. <laughs> you know, remember there, was, there, there were guys who were powerful untouchable, yeah. who were called the Premier League. You know, it was uh, David Mabuza, it, 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 it was uh, Ace, and uh, it was Supra Mahuma Pili. Those guys were untouchable. Those guys carried Zuma to victory, you know. But if you look at what has happened now, Ramaphosa has quietly dealt with all of them. Didi is gone, Ace is out, Supra is out, the other two are there are criminal cases that are that are coming around. Uh, there are people talking about Didi being involved in, in things relating to ESCOM. You can see in that slow world of Cyril Ramaphosa, to an extent, the wheels are still turning. And this is one of the most high-profile people to be kicked out of the ANC. An SG still in office, taken out long before the end of his term, and now expelled. I mean, the last time some, someone who was sort of influential was expelled was Julius Malema, president of the ANC Youth League. Well, he's gone to be more successful. You know, now he'll come back at the ANC with more demands and, 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 and a, a bigger ground to make all sorts of claims. Who knows what will happen next year after the election? So it has turned out well for Julius Malema. I want to, I'm, I'm reflecting on a phrase that you've just used about the slow world of Cyril Ramaphosa. So maybe that takes us into our next avenue of conversation about his trip to war-torn Ukraine. What's the long game there? Or is he just, again, playing the art of, of expedient politics here? Jeremy, that slow world can cost us a lot. This man takes too long to make a decision. Basically, Jeremy, there's 32 billion, 32 billion dollars. I actually said 32 billion rand. It's 32 billion dollars in the AGO agreement. Now we can't afford to lose that. You know, in the state, state, the country is economy, uh, unemployment, and all of that. However, even as a group of uh, uh, members uh, of the government in the U.S. are calling for um, uh, 
the Agoa conference to be moved from South Africa because of our so-called friendship with the Russians. This trip to Russia and Ukraine, if used properly, it can reposition South Africa. It, you know, because it's a huge risk, there, big gamble, hey? It's it's a it's a big gamble. It's a big gamble, but. Certainly somebody, when, when, if, if he gets each of those leaders in a room, I trust Cyril, in a room. You know, you can, you can hear the logic of his thinking. If, if he's just there, you, he's not playing politics, he's still a capable leader, you know. So in this particular case, I, I trust him. I think something can come out of this. I mean, it's a first step. There's no roadmap yet. It's a first step. Look, strange, stranger things have happened and uh, give the man the benefit of the doubt. But the feeling I have is that positions on all sides are so entrenched, particularly with the European Union and with the United States of America, that it would be very difficult for a non-aligned philosophy to start filtering through, unless he's got a rabbit that he's going to pull out the hat. I don't know what that rabbit is. Well, the Americans cannot resolve this war, neither can the Europeans. China is China is trying. So and you're genuinely a, thinking little old South Africa can do that? I think a combination a combination of South Africa with, with thinking around the BRICS, some of the countries in the BRICS, like Xi Jinping, you know, he's, he's quite, a, he's quite a, a powerful guy. Something could come out of this. This then conflict is not going to go on forever. Then do we not need to withdraw ourselves slightly from the overt support that we appear to be showing Russia? If we're saying that we're non-aligned, let's act in a non-aligned way because the perception is that we are firmly in the camp of Moscow. We are. We clearly are. Now that's the unfortunate situation. We really have. We've we've blown it coming to this point. All the past few months, the mistakes, a lot of mistakes have been made, and all of them are unnecessary. So, do you think we can fix it? He's got a chance. He's got to take the chance. There is a lot that's hanging on it, for the sake of the country. I think it's got a chance. I think it better, it better do it. When it comes to the whole issue of trade, Jeremy, I mean, people pulling trade out of South Africa because of what the ANC is doing, that's, that's very unfortunate because the ANC is going to go. The ANC is already a 50% party. It used to be a very powerful party. So you can't punish the people of South Africa for, for what the, the a political party that is actually desperate and going. And already there are letters that are starting to circulate in Washington calling uh, on the Biden administration to up the ante, uh, to become more assertive in condemning South Africa and withdrawing the privileges that the AGOA Act entitles us to. It seems to me that there is now momentum in the United States as far as that's concerned, which also tells me, unless I'm reading this incorrectly, uh, that uh, we need to repivot very quickly. As loud as they can to criticize the ANC, but punishing the people of South Africa for that that, that, that cannot be fair. We are in a transition. We are also moving away from ANC politics. You know, the, as you can see, the country is looking for a, a more part, a, a bigger uh, players in, in, in the democratic process itself. The power of the ANC to decide what this country is going to be or what, or what we take in terms of foreign policy and all of that is, is starting to change. 
You cannot punish the people for that. Let's move on to talking about power. Let's move on to ESCOM. A couple of developments this week. The one is that uh, Josian Soramajopa, the electricity minister, has signed a fairly opaque deal with um, Mozambique about uh, buying a thousand megawatts of uh, of essentially gas-fired electricity into South Africa. Experts that I have spoken to today uh, tell me that uh, it's going to come from a variety of different sources. Uh, we're not entirely sure what the funding model is, how much it's going to cost us, in other words, and um, when we can actually expect to benefit from it. Having said that, if it happens, when it happens, uh, it could reduce load shedding in the country by one level, which is good news. The other issue is, as we sit here and record this conversation on a cold Johannesburg afternoon, dusk evening, it's bitterly cold outside, there is a sense, though, that load shedding has come down. Two things that I want to make, I want to make a point on, on that. One, we either are burning a whole lot more diesel than government is letting on, or do we believe the chair of ESCOM, Mpoma Kwana, who says restructuring within the utility itself, giving plant managers more autonomy, is actually lessening the load shedding burden on South Africa? Are you sensing any, any optimism here? Are you sensing any change? Or is it just the normal old BS? <laughs> Jeremy, I mean... A while ago, we wrote we wrote uh, a story on on uh, we published a story on Scroller saying that if if you if you just change um, the tender system to help ESCOM buy directly from the suppliers, buy quickly, take generation units out and bring them back at the time when they are promised to be back, that's what has happened this week. Is that a lot of generation units that that had delayed to come back were able to come back. And that's what improved things. But if you were able to do that, you would actually take out three stages of load shedding. Now, that is, that is significant. This is, it's a system issue. It needs to change. The country cannot be beholden to tender system, tender panniers. We know what damage that has done. So that's the first thing that needs to be fixed. And that power now vest is, is sits with the electricity minister. Now the electricity minister has got that power. He's been asking for the power. We've been asking for him to be given the power. And... Well, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And these trips to the power stations, it, it's beginning to look like they're not just tours. You know, it's, you get a proper understanding of each power station, what is happening. Those guys tell you their frustrations, and you are able to sort of work out those frustrations, give those guys more power, to, give them the assurance that you are in charge, run your power station, tell me your specific issues, and let's fix your specific issues. The only caveat I would sound is that we've only seen improvement over the past two weeks or so. Yes. Let's not get too excited. I it's wouldn't early, get too excited. It's early Jeremy. winter. Before that, we, so we published a story just, saying yeah. 10 generation units fail, failed Precisely. at the same time and we're in hell again. So let's give a, a, a half a round of applause here uh, to the system. Maybe changes are happening. We'll revisit the story in future conversations. I am a little happier. I'm sure you are as well. It's nice to have a bit of light. Oh yeah. Nice to have a bit of warmth. Oh yeah. But don't let's get uh, don't let's get uh, don't let's get too excited. Um, very quickly, um, this tragic tavern shooting, um, and you made the observation 
uh, or Scrola, Scrola made the observation that this is another example of, of, of poor detective work. You've been closer to this issue than I have. I have a, I've read it very quickly. What's the story and where's the poor detective work? Jeremy, at one weekend, like with all the things that are happening in South Africa, it's very rare that things really shock you. But one weekend, people walk into a tavern, shot and killed 16 people. 16 people in one room. I mean, you can imagine what that, you know. So the whole nation was outraged. Obviously, the best detectives should have been put on the case. It doesn't look like that happened. And now, this week, the NPA says the leads, the instructions that they gave to the detectives to go and get more evidence, those were not followed. The detectives came back and said the witnesses were not cooperating. But that's because some of the witnesses were killed. Now, if in your community something like this has happened, people get killed or potential witnesses, who's going to want to be a witness? And not, nothing has happened. The people who killed witnesses after that, were they arrested? No. That's the situation we have, Jeremy. Now the, the whole case has fallen up. And this is a story that, that's a high-profile case. It was a tragedy. But this is a story that is replicated right up and down the the value chain of of policing in this country, whether it be a housebreaking, whether it be a tavern massacre, the inability of the South African police services detectives to follow the chain of evidence, preserve the chain of evidence, interview witnesses properly, in so many cases is deficient or plain appalling, and it gives impetus to criminal elements. It tells people they can do what they want. And it breaks, it's a breakdown of the fabric of law and order in society. This is a very important story and one which I don't think we have interrogated enough as society and even the media. It's all very well to be outraged. We need to do a lot more work on the parlous state of detecting in this country because it's a shame. It's an embarrassment. It's a blight. I was so shocked, Jeremy. I was hit with the with the rape in Krukerstorp. Those young women there, they were shooting a video. Yeah. I mean, these are people, uh, hardworking South Africans, you know, to be attacked like that, survive a 10-hour ordeal of rape, you know, you, you would assume the police would do whatever it can take to get these people to justice, and they didn't. So there was no justice there. There was no justice in Enyobeni Tavern in, 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 in the Eastern Cape where 20 kids died in the tavern. You know, what happened to investigation? What could kill 20 kids in the tavern? It's, it's shocking, Jeremy. Let's move on to our penultimate story tonight. Uh, we have the city of Johannesburg uh, still touts itself as a world-class African city. <laughs> um, someone suggested to me the other day that... Maybe this is the time to take the city to the advertising regulatory board and challenge false advertising. Someone needs to have the courage to do that. Uh, they've tabled, I think we said last time, it's a 70 billion rand budget. It's a, it's a lot of money. 80.9. 80.9, I stand corrected. I watched the state of the city address from the mayor, who looked absolutely terrified. Remember, this is a mayor who, when he was vetted uh, to see whether he was good for the job, the leader of his party said, we spoke to his mother and she said he was, uh, he was a good guy. That goes for political vetting in this country. <laughs> now the budget has been passed. The fear, of course, as to whether 
this budget, uh, this 80 billion rand budget, is going to be used effectively, uh, and whether it is with the processes are open to corruption. The first thing, Jeremy, is this budget, is this budget going to be approved? Is it going to pass? Because you've got Action SA uh, with a motion of no confidence on the mayor. If you have a motion of no confidence on the sitting mayor, you cannot approve his budget. So that's the, that's what, well, that's, that's, that's the issue. Tomorrow there's going to be a budget debate. Um, well, it was interesting to have the real mayor, uh, Dada Morero, presenting the budget. Uh, last week we had the puppet mayor presenting the state of the city. Dada Maria is the ANC candidate. He's the chairperson of the Joburg region. Yeah. So he's the guy, you know, who was supposed to be the ANC mayor. He was a mayor for a month when they kicked out uh, Dr. Mpo Palace and, and the court uh, found that they didn't follow due process. I don't know, Jeremy. Um, with the state of Joburg at the moment, at the moment, Jeremy, now, we, we, we do have a lot of problems. I, I, I worried when I looked at the, 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 the rates hike, 9% for water, you know, um, they are around 10%. Even refuse removal is at 7%. At a time, at a time like this, with, with such an inefficient um, uh, city of Joburg, yeah, you've got to be concerned, really. Uh, for me, as a, for Joburg residents, I wouldn't expect anything, anything good to come out of the city of Joburg at the moment. Let's end with this, and it's, again, it, it just beggars belief. Um, I want to read the first three paragraphs um, from, the, uh, from the piece on Scroller. Uh, in the aftermath of last year's devastating Durban floods, the leaders of the Etiquini Metro diverted millions meant for relief efforts and for the fire brigade. Wait for it. Dramatic pause to pay for two Chinese-built sculptures. The giant statues of ANC veterans Nelson Mandela and Oliver Tambo ended up costing 22 million rand. And here's the rub. <laughs> the statues have arrived in the city, but no one knows where to put them. I mean, I, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but it's just ridiculous. I mean, come on. This is crazy, Jeremy. <laughs> they, they have not been unwrapped. We don't even know if, if they look like Nelson Mandela or, or Tambo. This... This, this is the situation of Durban. At some point, when the whole thing started, Jeremy, we're talking about six million rand for these statues. The tender actually got out, was given it to a Gumede guy. This was under Zandile Gumede's uh, as mayorship. She pushed for this Gumede person to get the tender, and he happens to be an indoor uh, sculptor specialist, not for outdoors, you know. And and there was the crisis. He obviously, he, 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 he can't do these statues. Yeah. What they did, Jeremy, which is what we've seen many times, they go, they, they go to a proper, uh, uh, a competent person, and they say, give us a quote for these statues. And he gave them a quote at 11 million rand each, which came to 22 million rand. This is a Mr. Botha who did the King Dinuzulu statue. It still stands today, they looking beautiful. And they took his quote and gave the tender to the Chinese. The exact 22 million rand that he had quoted, they said, no. Why would you do that? You've got a South African uh, uh, sculptor who can do the work, and you give the work to the Chinese. Now, there are all sorts of talks that some of the money was supposed to be kicked back for the ANC 127-year celebrations. Yeah, and then it starts becoming all murky. 
And here we are today with 22 million rand worth of those statues and nobody knows exactly where to put them up in the city. And when you do put them up, it's going to cost a million rand each just to erect it. And I think that is probably where we're going to leave it, uh, lest one of us bursts a blood vessel. Uh, that is this week's scroller cast. As always, thank you for listening. I hope we've shed some light on some of the uh, stories uh, doing the rounds in South Africa. Uh, Toby Shapshak is our executive producer, and Hans Baumgarten is our technical director. If you like the conversation, please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. More content on scroller.africa, and we will return same time next week with more conversation about the state of the world and the state of South Africa. Mm-hmm.